0: Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today I want to discuss a sort of side topic within the bigger topic of the sea as a separate realm of creation in Hebrew cosmology, but I want to focus specifically on an aspect of that that you may have heard of or discussed from time to time as we've looked at passages like Genesis 1 or even places in Revelation where it talks about sort of the bottomless pit. And that is this idea of the abyss or the deep, as it is sometimes called. And it's the same idea in ancient thinking. But again, it's very different from how we conceive of things. And so it's worth I think spending some time on to really get a better understanding of what the writers of the scriptures are are thinking of when they talk about this. So first of all, the the idea of the abyss or the deep is really referring to not a physical body of water so much as this idea of cosmic waters. Uh, in ancient Near Eastern thinking. And what I mean by cosmic waters is this idea that we find right in Genesis 1-2, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep. And by implication, in the very first verses of Genesis, we see that there seems to already exist something uh, that What's being described in Genesis, as we've talked about in past episodes, isn't so much concerned with explaining material origins. The assumption would have been that, of course, God created everything that exists, materially speaking, but that the focus of the creation account is really more on what is being done to bring order and purpose and function to these functionless sort of raw materials. And so right in Genesis 1-2, it's already assumed that the deep, this abyss, these cosmic waters are, are there. So the question is not whether or not God made them. The question is what's God going to do with them or about them? And so we see this idea of these dark, bottomless waters that are just devoid of life. And the implication is that they're also functionless. They're chaotic forces and so the role that god plays in dealing with these waters is that he he separates them he brings function and order to them he tames the chaos and he brings to heal basically all these raw uh, cosmic forces now there is the uh, leviathan which is a big part of ancient Near Eastern thinking. And we've already done a past fruit snacks episode on the Leviathan. So I don't want to retread too much of that ground here, but in the ancient Near Eastern thought, the Leviathan is sometimes associated with these forces of chaos, which is basically just a, a characterization of or representation of these cosmic waters and the chaotic nature of them, that they are inhospitable to life, that they are functionless and sort of wild. And so in lots of ancient Near Eastern creation stories and flood stories and things like that, you see that God or the gods in other versions of creation stories are responsible for uh, conquering or taming or even sometimes outright killing the leviathan creature and from that comes order and function and peace although what's interesting to note is that in many old testament passages we see a divergence here because in other ancient near eastern accounts like the babylonian account the leviathan character which is uh, tiamat in babylonian lore is a force to be reckoned with like a direct rival to the Sort of main protagonist, God, and yet in the Old Testament we don't see that at all, and I think that's very purposeful. In many passages in the Old Testament, Leviathan is described in the Psalms and Isaiah and Job as just a creature created by God and not this rival uh, to His power. And I think the the messaging that's being sent there theologically is that as powerful as this thing is, or as this idea is in other ancient thought, the Israelites had a very clear picture that there is no rival to God's power, that there is nothing that could stand up to God. In fact, everything is created by God and therefore it's subject to his whim and his will. And the Leviathan, even if it were somehow real, is just It's just a creature. It's just a thing. And God can basically do with that thing whatever he wants, that his power has no rival and there is no threat or competition when it comes to who God is. And we see that as a unique feature in the Old Testament. And I think it's worth bringing up for that reason. But as i said other ancient near eastern peoples did think this way and the egyptian writings you have uh, the leviathan creatures sometimes described as the rahab and as i said the babylonians called it tiamat but the idea is the same now i want us to see too that this idea of the abyss also has more to do than just being a, a place of deep waters where it, life is inhospitable and there's chaotic forces in Romans 10 7 Paul very clearly identifies the abyss with being a place of death in fact there are some ancient writings that describe going down to the realm of the dead as we talked about in yesterday's episode and part of that process was passing through water so in some ways in some thinking there was an association between going to Sheol and going into the abyss and Once you went into the abyss, there really was no coming out. It was a place of death and destruction. But interestingly enough, we also see that there is an association in the New Testament with the abyss also being a realm of evil spirits or perhaps even a place of imprisonment for them. In Luke 8.31, we see that the demonic spirits beg Jesus when he's about to cast them out not to send them back to the abyss. And the implication is that they've been there before and they don't want to go back. And in Revelation 9, uh, chapter 9 and chapter 20, we see these references in our English Bibles to the bottomless pit. Well, that's the same word as is used in Luke eight thirty one. It's this abyss where evil spiritual forces are being kept and reserved until it is time to let them out for a time uh, where they will ultimately be judged. So the big point of the abyss and these, this idea of the deep in the Bible that I want us to take away is that no matter how powerful it is, no matter what it is, God exercises utter control over it. And on your own time, I would encourage you to look up these passages that describe just this, which is Psalm 135.6, Psalm 106.9, Psalm 33.7 and Job 38.16. God is in utter and complete control over everything, even the most chaotic forces that exist. And if that is true, then we can trust him utterly.